Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the first podcast edition of Scripps' Five Must Know Things for 2022, for the Business Week ended 7th January. I'm Ian Haydock. This time, new mRNA deal for Pfizer and BioNTech. Court ruling helps Novartis' Gilenya. First cut price generic Paxlovid launched. Breaking down BridgeBio's Phase 3 failure. And a look at gene editing companies to watch at JP Morgan. While the enormous financial windfalls from COVID-19 vaccines and drugs have led to market speculation of a new wave of mergers and acquisitions in 2022, the huge revenues have also yielded investment in existing pipelines. Pfizer and BioNTech's 5th January announcement they are developing a shingles vaccine is a case in point. Alaric Diamond writes this is the third in a series of vaccine development partnerships between the companies around BioNTech's messenger RNA technology after one to develop an mRNA-based influenza vaccine in 2018, and most famously, their 2020 agreement to develop a vaccine against SARS-CoV-2, which has since won US FDA and other global approvals under the name Comirnaty, plus additional emergency use authorizations. Under the latest deal, Pfizer will pay BioNTech $225 million up front, encompassing $75 million in cash and $150 million in equity, along with sales and regulatory milestone payments of up to $200 million. In turn, BioNTech will pay Pfizer $25 million for its antigen technology. The companies noted that theirs would be the first mRNA-based shingles vaccine. Marketed shingles vaccines include GlaxoSmithKline's Shingrix and Merck Co's Zostavax. Both have been major drivers of growth for the firms, as shingles represents a massive market, over 100 million patients in the US alone. Pfizer said in its third quarter 2021 earnings that it anticipates $36 billion in revenue from Comirnaty for the full fiscal year, while the company has further projected $31 billion in revenue from the vaccine in 2022. Although Pfizer is not providing guidance on Paxlovid, its oral antiviral for COVID, until its fourth quarter earnings report, analysts have forecast the drug could generate up to $24 billion in 2022. Meanwhile, BioNTech said in its third quarter earnings call that it would pull in nearly $20 billion in 2021. The threat of imminent generic competition in the US to Novartis's big-selling multiple sclerosis pill Gilenya has all but disappeared after a court upheld its patent and blocked a version developed by China's HEC Pharma. Kevin Grogan writes the Swiss major has revealed that a US Court of Appeals has upheld the validity of a dosing regimen patent known as 405 for Gilenia, which was approved in September 2010 to become the first disease-modifying oral MS therapy in the US. The decision upholds a ruling delivered in August 2020 which granted a permanent injunction against HEC until the expiration of the 405 patent in December 2027 including six months of paediatric exclusivity. The court's decision represents a major boost for Novartis, given that HEC was the only remaining abbreviated new drug application filer that was still challenging the Galenia patent. The US FDA approved the first three generics of the blockbuster drug over two years ago from HEC, Biocon and Sun Pharmaceutical, and since then, Glenmark Pharmaceuticals, Strides Pharmascience and Teva Pharmaceutical have also obtained approvals. However, shielded by 405 and two other patents, Galenia, which is a sphingosine-1 phosphate receptor modulator, has protection in theory for a number of years to come in the US.
Novartis, which noted that it expected no generic versions of Gilenya in the US market for at least the next two years, had previously entered into settlement agreements with a number of manufacturers which had filed to Anders, including MSN Laboratories, Nostrum Pharmaceuticals and Par Pharmaceutical. The Basel-based group confirmed that the potential generic entry dates and other terms of the settlement agreement are confidential. The court's decision means that Novartis will continue to benefit for at least a couple of years from Gilenya, which is still a major revenue driver. In the third quarter of 2021, the drug brought in $703 million, with over half of that coming from the US and making it the company's third biggest seller. Within days of the US FDA's emergency use authorization for Pfizer's Paxlovid, Bangladesh's Beximco Pharmaceuticals announced that it had rolled out the first cut-price generic of the oral pill for the treatment of mild to moderate COVID-19. Rabir Reza, who's Beximco's chief operating officer, told Scripps Andrew Gangurdi that the company had developed the product, which is available as Bexavid, on its own and that the launch was based on in vitro studies and data. In June 2021, the World Trade Organization members agreed to extend until 1st July 2034, the deadline for least developed countries to protect intellectual property under the TRIPS agreement. This move continued to give Bangladesh's up-and-coming biopharma industry critical buffer time to strengthen its capabilities and also to supply cut-price novel therapies in poor nations without having to worry too much about intellectual property rights aspects. On 30th December, Beximco announced that the Directorate General of Drug Administration in Bangladesh had granted an EUA for Bexovid to treat mild to moderate COVID-19 in adults and children of 12 years and above. Based on the maximum retail price, a five-day course of the drug is expected to cost around $186. We outsource Ritonavir active pharmaceutical ingredient, Reza said. Under an agreement with the US in November, Pfizer is to provide 10 million courses of Paxlovid treatment between 2021 and 2022 for $5.29 billion, indicating a per-course price of about $529. The arrival of Beximco's Bexavid is interesting given that Pfizer in November signed a licensing agreement with the medicine's patent pool to expand access for the COVID-19 oral treatment in 95 low- and middle-income countries. The company has also made commitments towards equitable access and expects to offer Paxlovid via a tiered pricing model based on the income level of each country. The announcement of the results of the 12-month Part A components of Bridge Biopharma's Attribute CM study of Acorimidis, formerly known as AG10, in 632 symptomatic transthyretin amyloid cardiomyopathy patients while supposed to provide a mandate for regulatory submissions. External contributor Andy Smith writes this was because the primary endpoint in the Phase 3 Attribute CM study was a hard clinical measure, the 6-minute walk distance, or 6-MWD. This contrasted with a trial on which Biogen gained a much-contested and mostly unreimbursed accelerated approval on the basis of a surrogate marker of disease for its Alzheimer's drug Aduhelm. The mean observed decline in 6-MWD for the bridge biodrug after 12 months was just over 9 metres for patients treated with acoramidis. This was worse than the average 7-metre decline in placebo-treated patients. The failure of the primary endpoint was described as disappointing and baffling in light of secondary surrogate endpoints, which moved in favour of the drug 
the absence of any baseline imbalances between the active and placebo arms, and the study appearing to have been conducted well without any hindrance from the pandemic. Adding to Bridge Bio's bafflement was a similar baseline enrolment profile of the patients in the Attribute CM study to those in Pfizer's ATTR-ACT Phase 3 study of Vindacil, where this drug met the primary mortality endpoint at 30 months. In an announcement and conference call, Bridge Bio blamed the lack of a declining 6-MWD in placebo patients for the study's failure, and although cross-study comparisons are typically not valid, it may have had a point. In the ATTR-ACT study, Vindacil treated patients demonstrated about an average 25-metre 6-MWD decline against about a 60-metre average decline in the placebo arm after 30 months. In its conference call slides, BridgeBio also included the median 6-MWD where placebo patients did decline more than those treated with acoramidis, but the apparent lack of enthusiasm for taking the median 6-MWD to the FDA as a primary endpoint of the study suggested that the statistical analysis plan previously agreed with regulators, unlike the clinicaltrials.gov entry, specified the mean 6-MWD as the primary endpoint. Investors' reactions were swift and judgmental, with Bridge Bio's stock price finishing the day down by 67% against the Nasdaq Biotech Index's close to flat daily performance. Social media commentary was also judgmental, with many pointing to SEC filings that indicated that Bridge Bio was a favourite of many large specialist hedge funds. Finally, Andrew McConaughey writes that the next 12 months are likely to see further major developments in gene editing technologies, a field which attracted billions of dollars of funding in 2021, thanks to a range of novel and maturing platforms which have the potential to offer new treatments and possible cures for genetic diseases. However, 2021 ended on a sobering note for many newly public gene editing companies as their share prices declined while readouts from more established players illustrated that progress in the field would be neither linear nor rapid. Some of the key companies in the field will be presenting at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference. While 2021 saw a boom in biotech IPOs, many of those debuting on the Nasdaq saw their share price sink after launch, dragging down the whole sector and contributing to one of the worst years for biotech investors in recent memory. The post-launch declines included three gene editing specialists, Graphite Bio and Sana Biotechnology and Caribou Biosciences, with only Verve Therapeutics bucking the trend. While cell and gene therapies are already on the market, gene editing techniques such as CRISPR-Cas9 offer a number of potential advantages, including the ability to correct the genetic code of an underlying mutation and thereby potentially providing a cure where gene therapy products may have waning efficacy and protein expression. Gene editing has particular promise for gain-of-function mutations, such as those seen in sickle cell disease and Huntington's, as opposed to only treating loss-of-function conditions with gene replacement or oligonucleotide-based therapies. However, doubts about efficacy and safety, including potential changes made to off-target genes by CRISPR-Cas9, remain big uncertainties. These concerns have prompted new entrants to adopt novel approaches. Verve Therapeutics, for example, is pioneering base editing, and Precision Biosciences is investigating the use of the iCRE1 enzyme, both of which are claimed to have a reduced risk of off-target edits. The year also saw two pioneers of CRISPR-Cas9 technology, 
Editus Medicine and CRISPR Therapeutics unveil mixed clinical results. Last September, Editas released data from two patients who received EDIT 101 for the rare eye disease labor congenital amaurosis 10. While there were no safety issues, the efficacy results were modest. The following month, CRISPR Therapeutics reported phase 1 results from CTX 110, a gene-edited allogeneic CAR-T candidate, which did little to renew confidence either in this emerging technology or gene editing itself. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. These stories in full and many more are available on our site and do take a free trial if you're not already a subscriber. Also, be sure to look out for Scripps coverage of the JPM meeting in the Daily Notebooks this week, along with interviews and other stories. Bye for now.